Hi everyone, I'm David Green. Welcome to the last episode of Series 12 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. To build sustainable success in people analytics, you need a few key ingredients. Let's look at three. First, align the work of the people analytics team to the business strategy and priorities. Second, in parallel, be intentional about building analytical capability across the wider HR function. And third, get the sponsorship from the Chief Human Resources Officer, the global HR leadership team, and senior leaders in the business. My guest on this episode of the podcast has mixed all of these ingredients and more since founding the People Analytics team at Merck in 2016. Alexis Sosignon is the Group Head of People, Data and Technology, and the function he has built has become a bedrock of Merck's people strategy and consistently delivers value to the business and the global workforce at Merck. Alexis and I reflect on the journey of people analytics over the last five years at Merck and look forward to the future as Alexis's role has expanded to bring people, data, analytics and technology together. In our discussion, Alexis and I discuss how to align the work of the people analytics team with the business and the people strategy. We look at examples of people analytics in action, including how Merck takes a skills-based approach to workforce planning. We look at the size, structure and skills of the people analytics team and how it has evolved over the last five years at Merck. We talk about how a combination of CHRO sponsorship, ambassador networks, rotational programs and effective communication combine to help grow a data-driven culture. And we look at why bringing people, data, analytics and technology together enables the next wave of HR transformation. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in creating business value and employee experience from people analytics in parallel with increasing HR capability in data and digital. So that's business leaders, chief HR officers, chief learning officers, and anyone in a people analytics, learning, HR leadership, or HR business partner role. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Gloat. Gloat's AI-powered talent marketplace allows enterprises to break down the silos, slowing them down, and enables agile, future-ready workforces. Gloat matches employees with internal opportunities by autonomously aligning talent capabilities and aspirations with the needs of the business. As a result, managers gain frictionless access to untapped talent at speed, reducing their reliance on hiring externally, while employees gain access to meaningful development opportunities and experiences, including projects, new full-time roles, mentorships, and more. The real-time data generated by the platform provides leaders with immediate visibility into the skills, aspirations, and availability of the workforce. Gloat pioneered the talent marketplace category and is trusted by some of the world's leading global enterprises today, including Unilever, Schneider Electric, Standard Chartered Bank, PepsiCo, Nestle, and many more. To find out more, visit gloat.com. That's G-L-O-A-T.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Alexis Soussignon, uh, Group Head of People, Data and Technology at Merck to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Alexis, it's wonderful to have you on the show. Uh, we speak quite often, but I know who you are, but can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to your background and role at Merck? Sure, David, and thanks very much for, for having me. So I'm Alexis, I work at uh, Merck Group, and today I head, as you said, the People, Data and Technology Unit. I'm based in Asia myself. I've been based in Asia for the last 10 years, and I manage a global team spread across you know, 
Asia, Europe, and the US, looking after our digital HR and data transformation. I've actually joined Merck five years ago, where I was hired to build the people analytics team pretty much from scratch. And we've gone quite some way into being here where we are today. Brilliant. And we're going to hear a lot about that over the next 40, 45 minutes or so. And and, and technology is wonderful. I'm speaking to you from a very snowbound UK at the moment, and I'm no doubt it's not snowing in Singapore. So, um, so you, you, as you said, Alexis, you, you came into Merck um, five years ago to found the people analytics function. So you're one of those people that I know that actually have founded a function within a company. And since then, you've developed and scaled it into one of the world's leading functions, uh, certainly in my opinion, and always with a focus on on delivering value. You know, what have been some of the key milestones uh, along that journey? It's been it's been quite a journey indeed. I mean, when we started, there were basically a couple of us, you know, starting starting the function and, and really, you know, trying to get into raising awareness of how people analytics can deliver value to the business and, and to Merck as a company. So at the very beginning, when we started, we did quite some work on our data, making sure you know that we can build a good uh, base of data, harmonize data, work on quality, and make sure that you know we can hit people analytics at a global level, which is you know the, the first milestone that we got into. Actually, put together a global people analytics platform that you know was covering uh, insights basically from from pre hire to retire, and that we've been building over time. And when we initially launched this global people analytics platform, we actually decided to make it available in a very democratized manner, in the sense that we not only open it to everybody in HR, but also to every senior business leader, where everybody you know could access uh, all insights across the whole Merck group, of course, with the right level of privacy uh, in there, uh, but a very strong, bold move, I would say, uh, to go for data democratization. From there, I mean, it's really been a journey around, you know, showing the value of people analytics and insights to the business, working with a number of HR leaders and business leaders on strategic use cases, around sales, production, manufacturing, to really show how much value these insights can help to empower leaders to make more strategic people decisions. Um, and that is something that we've been working on uh, in the last few years to really drive awareness, but also adoption and being able to ensure that the way we look at people decisions at Merck become really data-driven in order to make the right uh, strategic people decision. And over time, you know, that awareness and adoption grew, actually, and we had, you know, a few milestones, uh, very important ones, such as, you know, working on some group-level, very strategic uh, projects around you know, diversity, for example, and, and sort of strategic topic at a group level. We also you know, had a key milestones where we were able to showcase Merck People Analytics capabilities to the Global Executive Forum, to, to all of the top three, 400 leaders globally, to really, again, open the eyes of the business leaders when it comes to what value can be delivered from, from people analytics. And then, you know, we also got into more complex sort of analytics, you know, bringing a small data science team, working together with the, re the rest of Merck data science network to engage into more predictive analytics, go into more mm -hmm. um, complex and, and value-adding type of people analytics to increase the type of insights that we could deliver. 
And today, as you said, David, since uh, beginning of this year, actually, we've decided to expand the scope further to not only bring the data analytics together on the people side, but also to have the technology and combine people, data, and technology to deliver on that strategic priority, which is around accelerating our HR digital and data transformation. Very much in line with what the group is pursuing, right, to become a vibrant science and technology company. So it's been quite a journey, very exciting. Yeah, and and, and it's you know, clear how well aligned the work you're doing and the way you've set yourself up is to the business strategy. What was a couple of things, plenty to dig into there, but what I love what you said there is that, you know, we worked on strategic use cases around sales, production, manufacturing. Um, you'd be surprised the amount of time I, I speak to other people in, in similar roles and they say, we worked on attrition, we worked on on, on learning, uh, you know, we worked, and they say HR things. So I think the a real feature, I think, of the work you're doing is that it's very much business focused. Um, and I think one of the other things I think we can dig into a little bit is, you know, when you said that the data science team work with other data scientists across the business, you know, they weren't just in isolation in HR, because obviously you, you, you have to start small with your data science team, it's one or two people. And the importance of connecting them to other data scientists in the organization means, A, I guess you've got access to, to skills and technology and resources, but but B, you work together to solve business problems. Absolutely, David. And of course, you know, the, the topics you mentioned around attrition, learning, diversity are very much, you know, topics that we have been touching. But as you said, always with that very strong business focus, right? I mean, at Merck, one of the way where, where we do that is we operate a pretty uh, robust portfolio management approach to make sure, you know, that we are spending our resources and our efforts on the so-called must-win areas, right? I think we, we are quite clear and we, gave, we, we became clear and over time that we cannot win everywhere. And it's really about identifying, you know, these areas where we can build as a company a competitive advantage and to really prioritize on these, on these items. Yeah, because you can't, you can't do everything and it's easy to get lost in stuff that actually isn't that really that important to the business, you know, requests for data, you know, pet projects from from senior leaders and stuff like that so so you mentioned obviously you're based in asia but you run a you run a global team and obviously that team has has obviously grown with the additional responsibility you've got um how is the team's how is the team structured currently so currently as i mentioned just before we we have part of the team that is looking at portfolio management really making sure as i said that we put our efforts on the right strategic priorities and constantly you know review the impact and the value add of the portfolio initiatives that we are running, very much in line, you know, with our global HR portfolio management initiative and very strong collaboration with my peers in HR and in the business. We have another area that is, to a certain extent, an HR data office, where we really want, you know, to continue and improve our capabilities around data governance, data quality management, data privacy management, which is a key key topic as well, right? And making sure that we have the right data and we're able to access the data faster and in a better quality, not only in HR, but also connect this data as part of broader data catalogs that can be accessible across the organization. Next to this data office, we have a small people data science team that I mentioned earlier. So you're looking, you know, into more of these uh, more advanced analytics type of technique and deliver more advanced use cases. 
We have a digital HR UX and enablement pillar that looks you know, at the whole data and technology landscape as a big picture in its totality. I mean, we want to make sure that we deliver you know, um, data and technology-based people solution that create high business impact, but also best-in-class employee experience. And to do that, you really need to have that big picture in mind of how to operate with the end user in mind all the time. And running next to, to this digital HR, UX, and enablement, PIDAR are, let's say, more specialty areas on data and technology that are looking at specific pieces of our ecosystem. For example, analytics or our core, an employee lifecycle, our future workforce, or our cognitive and digital assistance, which is also an area where we want to continue and develop in the future to further digitize our, our people's solutions. I think you've got all the. I think you've got all the best stuff to to, you know, to look after. So and 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 I think this, are we, are we going to explore a little bit more around thinking around bringing those things together. I know. Um, so I think that that will certainly be a, a good conversation. If we should we just focus on if we just focus for one last moment on the the journey so far. What would you say have been your key learnings over the last five years? I think one of the key ones is, is what I mentioned earlier, right? Is that you really got to make sure that you are putting your efforts on the right strategic priorities. I mean, of course, right? We also run, let's say, a small mini R&D. It's a team uh, that looks more at early development, right? In, especially in data science. However, we got to make sure that the priorities that we're working on are aligned with the business and the people priorities of the company and that they can deliver value and that that value, you know, can be delivered in two sort of areas. On, on the one hand, you got to deliver at scale. You got to make sure that you can move away from the so-called pilot syndrome, if you know what I'm trying to say, uh, and really, you know, the, unleash the power of, of these data and analytics insights. And on the other side, what is very important as well is to be able to operate some business differentiated solutions, right? Because at Merck, we have three business lines and they operate in, within a specific context. And it's always very important to shoot for use cases that will serve the Merck group as a whole, but also use cases that will serve specific business line strategic priorities. So that's really been one of the, one of the key learning. I would say the other key learning um, is that to be successful, it's always better to show than talk. If you know what I'm trying to say, I mean, being stuck into a concept and should we do it and, and what is it going to do? And, you know, ending in years of discussion before starting is, is not really what we have decided to do. We, we decided, you know, to go in a very pragmatic manner to show the value of what we were talking about so that people can really understand. And this is how, you know, you, you really drive change and, and the mindset evolution um, within our company. So I think that's been a, a very strong uh, second learning. It did a couple of more um, adoption. Sometimes, you know, the way I look at, at, at people, data and technology is very much like a product where you have a market, which in our case is largely our company. And you want to make sure that the solutions of the products that you are developing on data and technology are really being adopted. Sometimes, you know, you might have the coolest innovation on the data and tech front, but if it's barely used, well, no real point. 
So it's really around making sure that everything that we are investing in delivers return on the investment that we are targeting. And the last one, which, which for me is, is extremely important, is sponsorship. I mean, I, I personally don't believe that without the sponsorship of our global HR leadership team, of our CHRO himself, and of our business leaders, we would have been able to go that far today. So the journey is far from being finished, but these have been some of the key learnings that, that I've had so far. Great. And again, so much to dig into there. And we're going to it will do a couple of things there. You know, I think you mentioned sponsorship and working with stakeholders, both in HR and the business. Um, it's funny, actually, when um, I speak to some of your peers and they say they'll talk about, you know, we do, we've got to get our data sorted out. We've got to get technology. We need we need to hire a data scientist. You know, and I think I say, yeah, all that's really important. But you've got to start with the stakeholders, start with the business, because you know, if you're not, as you said, if you're not showing the value of what you're doing, you're not going to get the budget to, to hire people, to, to, to spend time cleaning data, to, to buy technology. It's all about delivering value. So I really like that. Um, and I think that adoption piece, I guess it's about usability. It's not about cool tools. It's about making them usable and, and helping people to use them, I guess, which I know um, you've made a huge effort uh, at Merck to do that. So, um, you know, and I think we, we, we'll touch on that a little bit later around how you've helped, um, you know, colleagues in HR, but also the business actually use some of the tools that, that you're providing. Um, I think you've talked about this a bit, but it, it may be that we, we can summarize a little bit. You know, you've really focused around the business. It's about the business question. It's about solving the prop. It's about solving the challenge that, you know, either helps the group or, or one of your three business lines. You know, how have you managed to elevate the conversation at the business level? And what tips would you offer your peers to, to do something similar? So it's very easy to get stuck in the weeds, I think, with analytics. So any tips that you can provide to help people get out of those weeds, um, I think will be good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it boils down to a few things. I mean, the first one, which, which I already mentioned before, is to show the value. So being focused on the value add and the impact. So I think I've touched, I've touched on that. The other very important thing is to um, be very collaborative. You know, I mean, the level of collaboration that we have within our HR organization and together with the business for me is pretty amazing and really helps us to go to the business, right, as a people function to not just talk about this data and analytics product in itself, because, you know, when you look at it from an end user or business perspective, that's not what really matters. What you are looking at is how does it sort of blend and add value into the overall value chain that you are looking at from a business and a people perspective? And you know, that level of collaboration that we've had with our HR colleagues, you know, our centers of expertise or even our business partners has been a critical um, success factor. And then I think um, being able to have a full transparency on on how you know this type of work can bring value. What I mean by full transparency is so first of all being very transparent on you know, what are some of the key products or use cases that the team is working on so that you know sometimes there might be some opportunities that we might not necessarily have identified at the beginning, but somebody can come and knock on your door and say, hey, how how about we maximize even more that data and analytics asset that you are developing, right? So that we can increase its impact. So, so transparency, I think, is, is quite key. Um, 
being able to bring data and technology early in the strategic decision, I think is also key to elevate the dialogue. Because if you just look at data and technology sort of as, as a tool, as I hear it sometimes, I think you are actually hindering yourself from some of the potential that data and technology can bring you know, to some of the design or more early stage strategic discussion. And can really, you know, maybe look at things differently compared to more traditional ways uh, of thinking. And I would say um, being able to, 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 to position the power of, of data and analytics on these strategic initiatives. There are areas where, you know, in the past, maybe HR was not necessarily at the table of certain business discussion for whatever reason. And I think thanks, you know, to the investment that we've been making into people, data and technologies, we are also able to help, you know, our global HR leaders to bring data at a very strategic level on the people side when they're working together with, with the business. So I think these are really important steps if you want to sort of move away from just doing your thing, kind of, and, and making sure that um, you are supporting the overall global HR strategy and positioning HR where it should be. Great. All, all great advice. And, you know, I think that let's now dig into some of the examples of the work that you've done. You know, you know I think, you know, the work that you've, you guys have done around workforce planning, utilizing skills, I think is particularly interesting i think listeners would really welcome that can you can you share some of that story yeah absolutely so again working in extremely close collaboration with our other colleagues in hr um we wanted to to reshape the way we look at strategic workforce planning i believe like many company we had tried in the past right to uh, go about strategic workforce planning via various ways but we realized that the impact that this type of, of initiative was delivering was not exactly where we wanted it to be. So we engaged, you know, into, into a, a rethinking of that particular solution, actually mandated by the Global Executive Board, which helped a lot, right? Uh, because strategic workforce planning is a key enabler of our global HR mandate to shape the people dimension of Merck. So based on that, we re-looked at how to best um, look at strategic workforce planning and we did that in very close collaboration with the business leaders looking at real use cases not so much approaching it you know from a pure methodology kind of standpoint but really trying to blend into a, a business planning exercise looking at how the business conducts business planning and integrate strategic workforce planning in the way we're doing people planning one of the key things um, that we've realized is that the strategic workforce planning to be really impactful needs to be heavily data-driven. We really wanted to move away from guessing how you know certain jobs or skills might evolve or, or maybe just relying on predictions that might be out there on the market, but be in a position to actually translate external megatrends that are relevant for us at Merck through data. Understand, right, for, for specific type of, of jobs or areas, what are these skills out there on the market that are going to be in more demand, in less demand? What are some of the jobs out there on the market that might be 
non-existing anymore, that might be different, or that might be new. And to really take that as a very strong input to inform, you know, the way we want to work. It's really about, you know, how you want to be doing business um, type of discussion that you're having through these data and strategic workforce planning. And, and as soon as you're clear on that and that you're clearer and you help the business think how they want to be doing business tomorrow, then fairly naturally, you realize, you know, how, what type of skills, what type of jobs we're going to need and how do we sort of compare with the current skills and job that we have. And from that fit gap, look at the priority areas that we want to further invest in. So this has really been, you know, um, a, a, a pretty successful way to, to reshape how we look at strategic workforce planning. And today it's actually embedded into our overall people plans, which are part of every business plan at work. And I believe as, as part of that work, you did some, some using some natural language processing, I believe, to do some inference, some skills inference. Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure you would agree, David. I mean, especially out there on the market, there is a wealth of data that is untapped. And, and just relying, you know, on structured data, I mean, relying on, on already existing fixed skills databases that you would have any way to maintain or redo every other year or, or you know, asking your employees to complete a list of skills that they might have and ending up in like thousands of lines to complete on a regular basis is just a killer from an end user experience. So we kind of took it the other way around. How can we make the most out of that data that is out there, which is largely unstructured? And as you said, through natural language processing technique, crawling, and all other different uh, technical methods, we were able actually to translate that unstructured uh, data into insights that we can use. So it's something that, you know, has been a, a pretty big eye-opener also uh, in the way we can make the most of data analytics in the space. Yeah, very interesting. And we could probably do a whole episode on that alone. Um, are there any other examples of, of, of the work that you and the team have done that you'd like to share? I know you've done a lot of work around future ways of working, I think, in the last sort of year or so, obviously. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, th there's been number of, of use cases and as you say we could talk about it for, for a whole day especially you know passionate about this um, but one of the one of the area where we were able to position uh, data and technology very strongly was as you said David in our future ways of working program I think at Merck already last year we have engaged into that very strategic um, initiative again directly speaking with our senior leaders and the executive board of, of how we want to shape future ways of working. I mean, it was a broader program that was part of that, that was looking at various components, like flexibility of work, obviously, or, or different ways to approach the way work gets done. But for sure, the whole area of how to digitize people's solutions was a core area of that. And here, it's actually always ranging or, or, or fine balance that we're having between making sure that our core or our basics are working right and to innovate on the must win. And for me, you know, when you look at the way we, we, we manage our portfolio, it's always around these two dimensions. I mean, I remember having so many discussions with, with business senior leaders who told me very rightfully that if our core basic solution, you know, how to manage performance, forms or things like that are not working, then we are not talking. 
And there is no real point trying to bring some more innovation around that. So that's one thing where we, we make sure that we spend, you know, the right level of effort and manage that balance with that very strong employee experience in mind. And then we also work on more innovative items, right? I mean, we have been developing some pretty advanced um, robots that help, you know, navigation uh, through data or help provide some, some, some standard uh, answers. And we have been also working on, on, and we are actually continuously working on how to bring more AI-driven um, people solutions, for example, in recruiting, to, to make sure you know that we can facilitate the whole um, job selection and assessment, and of course, making sure that we never end up in biased algorithm. I'm sure you know about, about this. That's a key item for us as well. And trying to put, you know, AI in various people solutions um, as we move forward. So quite a number of, of use cases. Well, funny enough, you talked about the technology piece at the end there. And, and obviously, we, as you said at the start, your roles expanded, the team's expanded now. You've brought people, data, analytics and technology together. You know, what's the thinking behind this other than, other than the obvious? And, and, and what are you seeking to achieve? I think really the, the, that's a pretty, pretty bold move, right, that, that we have decided to make as a company. Um, I mean, when, when you look at the business, we are not the first one on the business side, you know, there have been already digital data and technology departments being brought up. So we really want to sort of operate like a business in that sense. And by bringing both people data and analytics together, I think we really wanted to go to the next level of our HR transformation to look at things with a lot of value-add impact and scale. Right now, right, by bringing this together, we are, as I said earlier, able to look at the big picture. We're able to see how various pieces of the puzzle, various use cases needs to be combined, how data can be further integrated, how maybe, you know, our landscape needs to be simplified. Because, you know, it's not always about investing in new things. Sometimes it's about reviewing what you have and make the choice to maybe integrate certain data and technologies, decommission some others so that you can free up capacities and investment to invest on, on different uh, areas. So I think making that move brings us the, the, the scale and the opportunities to deliver value um, even faster and broader for, for the business and for our people's solution. So we are still, you know, uh, at early stages of that, but we have lined up a five years roadmap and are very actively working on that. So I'm sure that there will be a lot more things to come in the next few months and years. Well, we look forward to that. And I guess what's interesting, you said at the right at the start of the journey back in 2016, you brought the data together across your pre-hire to retire. And I guess what you've just talked about potentially there, we by now enabling some of that with technology with an eye on the employee experience and, and, and everything else, is bring some of those you said bring some of those use cases together and integrate them so you can start to look at employee experience across rather than down you know you know candidate experience experience at onboarding experience around learning or moments that matter you actually can go across and obviously you've got the data to underpin that so um yeah i mean it's really good opportunity and bring things like learning and careers together and and, and everything else so that's that's clear. That, that's clearly the, the direction, David. And, and of course, you know we are we are not there on on all topics, but we are really striving for that. But but you know I think you, you really said it well. At the end of the day, 
when we're really looking at business impact and experience, it, it's almost about you know being able to inject data and technology insights across the business managers and the employee journeys, almost without having them really notice it. Or at least that's my dream. You know, sometimes I say that if one day we're able to uh, put the right data and, and technology insights, work on automation, work on more prediction, and, and really blend those into the natural journey that um, our employees and, and business leaders will do. I think this is really where we will be able to shape the way work gets done differently. So it's kind of the goal. Well, we'll have to have you on the podcast in a couple of years' time so you can tell us where you are on that journey and some of the other great stuff that you no doubt would have delivered by then. Um, so in terms of bringing those teams together, you talked a little bit, I think, at the start around how your team's comprised, but what does this mean in terms of the mix of skills in your team? So, i.e., bringing the technology piece in, I think you talked um, around the start around sort of you know bringing in that kind of people experience, that digital HR user experience and, and enablement in there. Um, I, I assume that's the, the new piece that's come in, if not, correct me, but, you know, what does that actually mean in terms of skills and where do you get those skills from? Because, you know, I, I'm guessing that you're not always going to get those skills from from HR from HR professionals. You, you're going to have to look outside the function a little bit. Absolutely, David. So in terms of, of different types of skills, I mean, this has evolved, right? As you said it earlier, when it comes to the various um, stages of our journey and maturity, we have been building up skills over time. But today, I mean... Being able to have very strong portfolio management skills, also around you know business casing, financial modeling is, is really important, <clears throat> so that you can make sure that once again you operate a little bit like a business with the end ROI in mind, of course, both qualitatively as well as quantitatively. Uh, skills around around data governance, stewardship, data quality management, as well as data privacy and ethics are critical. I mean, just to touch on the ethics piece for a second, I think what we've realized is that the more we're going to grow in terms of impact and scale, the more we're going to have to anticipate and ask ourselves the question of what we, as a company, want data and technology to do and not to do. It's not because you can do everything that you should be doing that, right? At the same time, um, and I think that's also one of our success factors, we've always worked an extremely close collaboration with our data privacy offices, our works council. I think we have you know, a very strategic partnership at Merck, which, which is a true competitive advantage. At least that's what I think. Um, and, and that sort of set up these skills. Then, you know, we have data science, data science, different types of data science, I would say, you know, more, more data science sometimes on the very technical fronts, new techniques, but also you get a look at data science in terms of industrialization. And it's a different skill set, right? I mean, as I said earlier, if you just focus on the first one, you're going to end up with great mini pilots, but you're never going to be able to scale them. So looking at industrialization, visualization is important. Um, we have skills around UX, digital HR, um, as I said earlier, enablement, so strong focus on people who know the end user, who can, you know, connect with the end users, involve the end users so that we never end up into an HR-centric sort of approach. Um, and then, you know, you really got to have people who can very nicely bridge so-called business or people requirements and the technicalities of things. 
and, and this is, you know, another types of profile that I have with, with my team. I mean, we work in strong collaboration with our IT department, with various uh, other departments. So you got to make sure that you have the skills at hand. And now to your point, David, where, where do I get the skills? I mean, of course, it's, it's always, you know, a, a very uh, interesting journey. I mean, first of all, we, we develop a lot internally at work. You know, we, we put a number of our people on development journeys and make sure that they can grow together with us at Merck. I think that's extremely important. Um, we actually have quite a number of people who are not coming from HR, but have more of a business background uh, and add actually tremendous value to bring you know, both sides of the equation um, together. Um, and then, and you, might, you might have noticed that from, from my team setup, a, a global team. I mean, the diversity of thought profiles that we were able to bring at Merck is, is definitely something that I believe helped us to, to bring us where we are today. I'm, I'm personally a, a strong believer of if you really want to operate a global function like this one, you've got to be located globally where Merck is. Versus, you know, maybe not just sitting into the headquarters or one particular area. You, you need to understand Merck. Merck has grown a lot. Merck today operates in more than 66 countries. You know, we have specificities in China, US, Europe, um, so on and so forth. And, and we need to understand that. We need to stay close to how the business develops. So these are some of the ways we're trying to do this, David. Great. And, and it's not just about the team, obviously, as well. I know you've done a lot of work um, around helping your wider colleagues in HR and the business. Um, you know, what are the steps that, that you feel that, you know, what are the steps that need to be taken or ha have you taken rather to improve data literacy amongst the wider HR community? Because um, that's a challenge that a lot of your peers say that, that, that they, they've either got or they've had and they've tried to overcome it. But I know you've done some really good stuff at, at Merck around, the, around that topic. Yeah. I mean, we did a few things. One of the things that we realized pretty early, especially three, four years ago, is that if you want to increase data literally, literacy, excuse me, forget the tool. It's not about the tool. It's about what you can do around it. And this is where, you know, we have been building communities within HR and even more broadly in the business uh, that come together to share how they have been getting value out of, out of people that are in technology um, insights. So, being able to build some ambassador networks that serve as multiplier into your, your upskilling efforts is something that has been proving to be extremely successful. Being able, as you were referring to earlier, David, um, to go beyond the HR community. And we are very involved, for example, in the overall Merck data science network that actually is more of a business network, but you know, having these touch points is something that we have um, and that we are putting a lot of effort on. We have, just thinking of the two main things, we have also um, been working on rotational programs where you know different people from various parts of the organization either have been working jointly with us for a period of time or maybe even uh, swap jobs with some of our team members or, or join you know, for a particular rotation. I think that has also helped a lot um, but the main thing right is is really the fact that data literacy in HR and technology is actually one of our global HR strategic priorities 
And as soon as, you know, from a sponsorship and a, and a messaging standpoint, you make this clear, which is something, you know, that we as a global leadership team and together with our CHRO have been making pretty clear, have really been giving us, you know, quite an accelerator to move towards that. So various, various ways. I mean, we, we also try things that didn't work, I will be honest with you. Uh, but these are some of the big things that, that have been proven pretty successful so far. Yeah, I mean, I, I know because you, you kindly invited me to speak to, to one of your investor networks towards the end of last year. And I was struck by the, the, the enthusiasm, the questions, um, clearly. I, mean, I think it was the end of the first year of that ambassador program. You could see the, 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 the level of, um, as I said, interest, but also awareness and capability, I think, was, was, was really struck me because that was a group of around 40 people. And as you said, they act as a multiplier. And I know, and I think it's very important, it's something that really has to be highlighted, having, a, that, having that clear messaging from the CHRO and the HR leadership team that this is the way we're going as a, as a function in HR, that really is important in, in setting that path for people. And they know that, okay, if I, if I want to be successful in my career at Merck in HR, then I need to do this. And, I, and actually, as you said, part of the ambassador networks and the community's practice, they see Actually, it's not just that I need to do it. It's actually going to help me. It's going to help me have more impact with, with my customers in the, in the business as well. So, yeah, I think it's a really good template, actually, uh, that, that other companies can follow. So, yes, yeah, that's something you're, you're right to, uh, to, 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 to talk about there. So last couple of questions. Obviously, you've been, a, you know, more than people analytics, but you've been affected as part of your portfolio running people analytics for four or five years now. And obviously, been pretty successful in doing that. And, and, and it's great, I think, that, you just said you're setting a, an example, I think, to a lot of your peers. You know, what are the t- key tips that you would give to a people analytics leader or, or a CHRO for that matter who is looking to scale people analytics in their company? Maybe they were where you were back in 2018 or something. How do they how do they get to the, the, the next level? Or maybe they're starting. Maybe they're starting. It's probably some of the stuff you said about focusing on the business. But if there's any, anything additional that you'd like to add there. That- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um yeah, when focus on the business is, is clear. Um, I would say don't don't think that when you are starting, it's all about data science or having you know data science skills within your HR team. I actually don't believe so. You know, it took us took us a couple of years before we started to bring our own data science into people's space. Before that, you know, we were very much working with the Google Mac network. So what I'm trying to say with that is that it is not so much around the technicality of the insight that you're able to produce, it's much more around how much can that insight can deliver value to a strategic business question or business problem that you're trying to reach. So really start there. Not not so much kind of HR-centric, but again, look at the impact that is being delivered. Um, I think another another, um, thing that I sometimes hear, right, when I speak to, to some of the the peers also out there on the network um, is spending, you know, sometimes years maybe in trying to clean up the, the very best data at, at global level. I mean, data quality is critical, don't get me wrong. What I'm just trying to say, though, is that there are definitely ways to look at bringing the right data together, again, based on the demand that you're going to face from the business more than just trying to go and fetch every single data point that is out there. That is something that I sometimes hear, right, where 
we kind of oh, we are still you know in that data consolidation piece and it might take us some more time before we can start i don't think that's the case i think you know as soon as you are clear on demand then you can already start running uh, on on the data analytics uh, front and the last the last minute tip uh, i think it's just a, a small repeat from what i said earlier but it's sponsorship you got to walk what you talk i mean if you really want to bring you know um, people analytics and technology at the core of your of your HR function or your people analytics function, well, you know, you really have to have speak with one voice. You know, make sure that that all the way from the global leadership team to your partners, to your employees, everybody speaks with that same voice, understand what's in it for them, and uh, go together, go all together in that journey. So these are a few tips that I can think of, David. Very, very, very good tips. And that leads us nicely onto the, the last question. So it's, it's on a theme that we're, we're asking everyone about in this series. You know, will, will jobs now be more deconstructed and instead be based on skills? Nice, nice, easy one to finish with. It's a really good one. And, and you know, something extremely, extremely time relevant for us. Listen, I think especially as we look at, at the current pandemic that we are unfortunately going through and, and you know how a number of, of businesses or organizations have, have managed to navigate through that um, pandemic so far with more or less success. What is clear is that the way work is going to get done is going to be different. Maybe not at the same speed, maybe not at the same scale with a lot of differentiation, that's for sure. But what is clear is that different types of work are going to be done differently. And as soon as you know, you're kind of clear on that, um, it becomes pretty natural to think that the way where jobs were assembled in the past, you know, by a set of activities to a certain extent might not be assembled in the same manner. And you know, there might be opportunities to look at activities and tasks in a new context with new enablers around us, right? I mean, we talked about technology, be it automation, augmentation. I mean, sets, set of tasks are going to be made differently. And this is why, personally, I believe in, in, in that model that I hear sometimes that skills is one of the key new currency where, you know, we should be thinking a lot more in terms of skills that, that just in terms of jobs, if we want to be ready to tackle, you know, the next years that are ahead of us um, successfully. So definitely something that I'm sure we will hear more about in the next few years. Um, I'm actually extremely curious to see that. I'm curious to, to really see the results and how companies, you know, are, are, are able to um, progress in that direction beyond just the fact of saying it. Because I think you would agree that we hear a lot about that, especially out there on the market around you know, how jobs are going to change and future of work and all of these things, which is great. I think that's a clear trend. However, I would want to see how much this will become real, how fast and how. And, and at Merck, at least, we are trying to um, approach this very proactively. We don't want to be caught by surprise or, or try or be disrupted as much as possible. So trying to engage again as a whole company, right? With all of our partners, employees, leaders, um, into making sure that, that we can think or rethink how different types of work will be made 
and what will be the implications on jobs and skills. Right. And I and I think actually having that that kind of employee experience as part of your um your your responsibilities is great because I think a lot of it will be driven by employees anyway or, or the workforce. Um because you know we can't try and force them force the workforce to do stuff that they want to do. But I think a lot of it is coming up from the workforce now and companies are having to adapt to that, which is no bad thing. Absolutely. Again, it's it's all about being driven by the impact and the outcome. What what you want to have versus you know having having too much of an HR centric view. So uh, staying close to how how the internal and external markets are evolving and making sure that you can influence that to to, to shape the way work gets done and, and, and the people dimension of it is extremely exciting. Well, Alexis, I think we could carry on talking, but you know, Ian. He always, he always laughs when I say this. Ian will cut us off at some point. So I'm going to end, end, end the conversation now. Um, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. I think it's so much learning there for, for listeners. How can people stay in touch with you, Alexis? Um, what's the best way? I think LinkedIn might most probably be the best way, right, uh, to, to stay in touch with me. I'm, I'm, ex- I'm actually spending quite some time, you know, to, um, hearing out what are some of the great practices that might be out there on the market and, and also, you know, exchanging ideas. Or even co-creating ideas sometimes, sometimes with you, David, sometimes with others in peers. So I think that might be the best way to, um, to be in touch with me. Brilliant. Well, Alexis, thank you very much. It's been an absolute delight. Same here. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the My HR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the My HR Future website. That's all for this episode, and indeed this series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Thank you to all our guests in the series, Ina Gancheva, Jeroen Wells, Ruslan Tufbulatov, Karen Powell, and Alexis Sosignor, as well as the sponsor for Series 12, Gloat. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.